If you have a copy of the scriptures with you this morning, uh, if you would turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to take a look at verses 8 through 11 in Revelation chapter 2 today. I know some of you out there might have been wondering, um, before JP and his family move out west, is, is JP going to, uh, is he going to preach again? Are we going to get to uh, hear JP preach again? Well, just so you know, uh, it was a real battle. The, the wrestle was real. Dave's bigger than I am, but I'm wiry. And, and, and I might be small, but there's a lot that's there. I'm just kidding. I'm just messing around. Um, but I am uh, thankful to, uh, to, to be with you guys this morning and preaching. And you guys are going to get a, a heavy dose of me for over the next uh, number of weeks. So I'm really excited about that. Really excited to go through Revelation chapter 2. Uh, verses 8 through 11 with you this morning. As you've gotten there, um, just a couple of reminders about what we are doing together this year with the book of Revelation, thinking a little bit more specifically about restoration, uh, Jesus making all things new, God restoring everything to the way that it's supposed to be. Um, and we're, we're sort of thinking about four big ideas together uh, this year uh, as we go through the book of Revelation. One is this, God always finishes what he starts. God always finishes what he starts. The second thing that we're thinking about together as well too is time. Time. We have to think about time in the way that God thinks about time. Meaning that the last days that's written about in the New Testament, that we have been in the last days for 2,000 plus years. We are not waiting on the last days to come. We are in it, and we have been for 2,000 plus years. Third thing is that there's some things we know and some things that we don't. And the fourth thing is this. What we do know is that Jesus has done it. Love conquers in Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. And so those are the big picture things that we're thinking about together uh, this year. As we go through these letters that Jesus writes to these churches, remember we're thinking about struggles that the church always has. Okay, and last week we looked at Ephesus, and one struggle that we have is forgetting our first love. Is, is operating out of something different than that we belong to Jesus and we're united uh, with him. And today, we're going to take a look at Jesus' letter to the church at Smyrna. So with that, I'm going to read verses 8 through 11 uh, to us. Uh, and as Dave often says, this really is a portion of a letter from home. This is Jesus' letter to us and to the church at Smyrna this morning. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Let's pray together and ask God to help us understand his word this morning. Uh, Father, uh, we thank you that you are the kind of God who loves us and desires to communicate with us, and that you have given us your word to tell us how much you love us, to tell us of what state we are in, that we are broken and we are sinful and we are needy. And you have provided for every one of our needs in giving us Jesus. 
Jesus, you are the first and the last. You are the one who died but rose from the dead. And so, Holy Spirit, this morning we pray that you would make Jesus more beautiful and believable to us. We pray that you would make us people who cling to our Savior. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Do you guys remember what commercials are? Anybody remember what commercials are? I mean, I know nowadays, like, we stream everything, so we don't really, like, we don't really get commercials anymore. But I can remember, even in just the last few years, commercials still being a really big deal. Does anybody remember what the, the biggest day for commercials is in a calendar year? The Super Bowl, right? We just had the Super Bowl last week. Sorry, Matt. Didn't go so well for the Chiefs, but we just had the Super Bowl last week, and there were Super Bowl commercials, but I don't think I've even seen any of them. But even in as recent past as just a few years ago, Super Bowl commercials were still a really big deal. Um, and I remember one commercial from a few years ago. It was the very first commercial that this company did. They spent millions of dollars to get a 30-second slot in the Super Bowl. The name of the company was Grubhub. Are you guys familiar with Grubhub? Yeah, yeah, they bring food to your door and you don't ever have to talk to anybody about it, right? Well, the very first commercial that they did, it started out with this woman who is on a phone and she was making a food order. And then out of nowhere, a burrito like a missile came flying through and, and, and crashing through her window and hit her in the head and knocked her out. And then the burrito didn't stop, like it kept moving, and so it went through the bricks of that house and into another house where there were three people standing in the living room on their phones making their food order, and the burrito says, bam, 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 and it knocks all of them out. It's actually a really funny commercial. You should, you should check it out. Go to YouTube. You can pull it up, and you can look at it. But the commercial ends like this. It ends with a woman who's in her kitchen. She's on her phone. She's about to make the phone call to make her food order, and then the Grubhub app shows up on her phone, and it says, now you can order your food without ever having to talk to another human being again. Now, I love that commercial because I think that commercials and ads and things like that are actually very informative to us about the world that we live in, about the culture that we inhabit and the culture that we cultivate. And, and what that Grubhub commercial is communicating in so many ways to us is that comfort is a really big deal where we live. Like we like our comfort. I would even go so far as to say that in America in 2021, we think of comfort as a right. Like we think of, uh, of comfort that is something that we are entitled to. It's not just a good idea, but it's a right that we have to have a comfortable life, to structure my life around having a comfortable life. So I want to order my food without ever having to talk to anybody. Think about this. Think about how mad you get when your Amazon package doesn't get to you in two days. Right? Like we structure our lives around comfort. And the reality is, is what that actually reveals about us truthfully, is that we're afraid. Like, we're even afraid to talk to somebody on the phone to make a food order. We are uh, afraid to have hard conversations. We're afraid to enter into and engage in relationships that might be difficult uh, or with people that might disagree with us. And the, and the irony is, is that the more we pursue comfort, the more we are actually tempted to operate out of Fear, because we've got to somehow manage that comfort that we have. 
Well, this morning, Jesus writes a letter to a church in Smyrna that struggled with comfort and fear, too. Just like we do uh, as well. And so Jesus writes this letter to this church in Smyrna. And so I want us to take a look at what Jesus has to say to these people. So the way we're going to structure that this morning is we're going to think a little bit about the city of Smyrna itself. And we're going to think about the encouragement that Jesus gives. And then we're going we're to have some takeaways. And then we're going to end with a crown. Okay? All right. So Smyrna. Let's begin with Smyrna. Smyrna in uh, the Apostle John, who's recording Jesus' vision for us, in in his day, Smyrna was a city of about 250,000 people. So back then, that's really sizable. You know, we're talking like roughly twice the size of Greenville in terms of population here. It was on the coast. It was a coastal city. And so there was a lot of importing and exporting going on and everything. And so uh, Smyrna, it turns out, was a very affluent city. Businesses thrived uh, in, in Smyrna. So there was a lot of money that was going around in Smyrna as well, too. Uh, Smyrna was also uh, very much, uh, they, they were very much on the front end of empire and emperor worship as well, too. So religiously speaking, Smyrna was really committed to the Roman Empire and to the Roman emperor. So much so that in 25 AD, the, the, the people of Smyrna built a huge statue of Emperor Tiberius so that they could come and they could bow down and worship the emperor. Some historians would even tell us that the idea of emperor worship actually came from Smyrna. Not so much from the emperors of Rome, but rather that Smyrna came up with the idea And then as emperors came, they saw that and they're like, yeah, that's right. People should worship me. So so, so empire and emperor worship is a really big deal in Smyrna. It's a very affluent place as well, too. It's a coastal city. And there was also a very large Jewish population that existed there as well, too. And the Jewish population that existed there was quite all right with adding to their Judaism this empire worship. And so they were willing to like add that on to what they were doing. And here's what that meant, that if you were a Christian and you lived in the city of Smyrna and you were really committed to Jesus alone, you really stood out. You really stood out because you were unwilling to add the empire or the emperor to Jesus And so Christians really stood out in Smyrna. They were very much uh, a a, a minority population that existed within this large, affluent city. And Jesus writes this letter to his people in this city. And what I want us to see is it's incredibly encouraging. Okay? Verse 9. Jesus comes to his people, his sons and his daughters, in the city of Smyrna and says, like Dave said last week that Jesus says to Ephesus, I see you. That's the first thing Jesus does. He says, I see you. I see your tribulation. I see your poverty. I see what you're going through, what is going on in your life. And in order to really understand that, we've got to dig into the relationship between the Jewish people and the Christian people in Smyrna. 
You see, the, the Jewish people didn't really like that Christianity was considered sort of under the umbrella of Judaism. And so they were kind of like identified with these Christians. And what they were trying to do was to separate themselves from the Christians. And so what that meant is that they were actively trying to cut off business avenues for Christians. And so what that meant is that the Christians that lived in Smyrna were actually literally the poorest people who lived in Smyrna. So when Jesus says, I see your tribulation, the difficulty that you're going through, that the Jewish people, the synagogue of Satan, are actually cutting off business avenues and making you impoverished, I see you, I see that. That's what Jesus is getting at. That's the, that's the encouragement that he is giving these people here. And it's not only that, it's like, I know poverty too, right? Jesus is saying, like, look, you're worried where your next meal is going to come from? Where you might lay down your head tonight? I've been there. I see you. I know what that's like. And there's something informative for us here as well, too, about how Jesus thinks about poverty as well, too. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I kind of grew up with this sort of idea that people who were homeless and impoverished and everything, like, they were just, like, they were just lazy, that's not how Jesus thinks about poverty. That's not how Jesus thinks about the poor. He actually identifies with the poor. He identifies with the impoverished. He's identifying with his people here, and he's saying, I know what you are going through. I see you in your poverty and your tribulation. And then he digs down even deeper as well, too. He says, I also see that you're being slandered. I also see that, that, that people are talking terribly about you behind your back, that people are lying about you behind your back. Anybody ever had someone lie about them behind their back? That's a pretty terrible feeling, isn't it? That's a really, really difficult thing. That's a very, very, very hard thing. And Jesus is saying to his people in Smyrna, I see you, I see that, and know this. I know what it's like to be slandered too. They lied about me, too. They, they, they said terrible things about me behind my back as well, too. And so what Jesus is doing is he's saying that your suffering and your hardship here, Smyrna, the tribulation and the poverty and the slander and everything that you're going through, all of that... I know all of that. I too have been there. Everywhere you go, I have gone. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus in every conceivable way has experienced life just the way that we have. And so he comes in to this church who's going through incredible difficulty. And he says, I'm here. I see you and I'm with you. And then in verse 10, he looks at them and he says, I know this stuff is going on, but fear not. Don't be afraid. Why? Because I am with you. Not only do I see you, but I am with you. And Jesus draws on language that God uses in the book of Isaiah that we read earlier. That he is with us in the trials, in the difficulties, in the hardships, all of those things that his people are going through, Jesus is saying, don't be afraid. I am with you. 
And then he says, and oh, by the way, it's going to get even harder. It's going to get worse. It's going to even get more intense. As a matter of fact, like it, 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 it could even lead to your death. But I'm with you. And oh, don't forget this. In me, you have the crown of life. You are conquerors. And how is it that Jesus can say that? Verse 8. He is the first and the last. He is the one who died and rose from the dead. Like that's where Jesus couches all of this to his people at Smyrna. He says, look, remember, I am the first and the last, the alpha, the omega. I died and I rose from the dead. So the crown, beloved, it comes through the cross. That Jesus was willing to go to the dark and lonely grave and die for us and shed his blood to forgive us of our sins, to heal us from our brokenness, to communicate that in every conceivable way he is with us even in the midst of our persecution. The crown comes through the cross. That's how Jesus can say this to these people because he's saying in every conceivable way, everywhere that you are going or have gone, I too have been there. And don't forget, the resurrection is real. So even if you come to to death, you need to know that I have blown a hole out of the back of death. And there is life and resurrection in me and what I have done. Jesus is incredibly encouraging to this church that's enduring an awful lot and is going to endure even more. Well, so what? Like, what is that? What's that mean for us? What are some takeaways that we might have from, uh, from this passage? Well, here's my big takeaway for us. Okay, life with Jesus is uncomfortable, but life with Jesus is glorious as well, too. Life with Jesus is uncomfortable. You think the people at Smyrna had a comfortable life? No. They had a hard life, a difficult life, a very uncomfortable life. And for us, who we live in a place and in a society and in a culture where comfort is a right, what we do more often than not is try to avoid adversity. We try to run from adversity in all kinds of different ways in our lives. We don't want to pick up a phone and make a food order, right? Like, we, we often run from adversity in, in our lives. We do it in our relationships, that's why we, uh, we are always tempted to only pursue relationships with people that are just like us. Because then it would be really hard to have a relationship with somebody who might disagree with us. Or who might not be like us or might not have the same kind of life experience that we do. We are tempted to not want our comfort to be something that is upended and be made uncomfortable. And so we try to avoid adversity at all costs. But life with Jesus is uncomfortable. Jesus is telling us, like, look, these are things that you are going to endure. 
And look, Smyrna struggled with that too. That's the reason Jesus says, be faithful in verse 10. Persevere. The crown of life is yours. He knew they too would be tempted to a life of comfort where they lived. And so he's saying like, hang in there. Know that the crown of life belongs to you. That I'm the one who has conquered and you are with me. And so he knew that they would struggle with wanting a a life of comfort. He knew that they would struggle with wanting a successful business over being ostracized, right? And let me tell you, here's how bad it really does get in Smyrna. There's this guy who comes along who's a pastor in Smyrna, a guy by the name of Polycarp. And Polycarp was actually a direct disciple of the Apostle John, the one who's penned these words for us. And Polycarp was a pastor, and he was a pastor in Smyrna. As a matter of fact, Polycarp is known as the bishop of Smyrna. And in 155 AD, Polycarp was 86 years old, and he was arrested, and he was sentenced to death because he believed in Jesus alone. And he was offered the opportunity as he was about to be martyred by the government that was there. Look, all you have to do is worship Caesar. Like, like that's all you got to do. Like, that's all you got to say is like, you're okay. You're cool with worshiping the, the emperor. And Polycarp's words have been recorded for us, and they're somewhat famous. And Polycarp's response to that was, 86 years I have served my Christ, and he has never done me wrong. How could I blaspheme my king who saved me? I mean, stuff was real in Smyrna. And here's what that tells us is that that progress comes through adversity. (laughs) Like growing comes through difficulty. Growing comes through adversity. Polycarp even saw that death meant life. And the same thing is true for us as well, too. Like, we grow through difficulty, through adversity, through doing hard things, through having hard conversations. That's how we grow. That's how we grow in our walk with Jesus. And so... What Jesus is doing is working into us a willingness to lean into the difficulties and the hardships of life, to lean into difficult parenting. You guys have heard of helicopter parenting? You know what the new thing, the, the, the new thing that's out there is lawnmower parenting. You guys heard of this? Lawnmower parenting is parenting in such a way that you mow down all of the obstacles for your children so that they never have to have adversity. And what Jesus is doing is he's saying, no, actually, we grow through that. We grow through difficulty. We grow through adversity. That's what Jesus is doing in us. But there's always, always, always challenges to that. There's challenges that come from the outside, and there's challenges that come from the inside as well, too. Your challenges from the outside, I mean, some of you may have experienced this, is, is it's, it, it's, it's hard, at times it's hard to be a Christian in 
in our lives and in our jobs, isn't it? Like that's something that's a difficulty. But there's also challenges from the inside as well too. And challenges from the inside uh, are, are really born out of, you know, cultural Christianity. You know, we're going through this book on Wednesday evenings with our men and, and our women in the church called The Unsaved Christian. That's actually diagnosing this reality of cultural Christianity that exists here in America. And the way you can sort of define cultural Christianity is Jesus plus something else. Jesus plus my traditions. Jesus plus um, my politics. Jesus plus uh, my being a good person. Jesus plus a whole host of other things. And let me tell you this, it is incredibly, incredibly difficult to stay committed to Jesus plus nothing else. It's a very hard thing to do. It's a very hard thing to stay committed to Jesus and nothing on top of that. That Jesus has actually done everything and that I bring nothing to the table and nothing is to be added to Jesus. And so the way cultural Christianity works itself out in, in our day and age is that Jesus is just an add-on. In some ways, it's not that different from Smyrna, right? Like if you'll just, if you'll just I mean, you can like add Jesus to empire worship or emperor worship. And in America, empire worship is real. Now look, don't hear what I'm not saying. I, I love living in America. I am so thankful that we can do this. That we can be here and that we can do this. And I recognize there are a lot of places in the world where that's not true. But let me make a suggestion that I think that, 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 that we might struggle with some empire worship as well too. And that cultural Christianity has almost turned into this thing where we see Jesus and America as synonymous. And so I think that actually the greatest challenge, the greatest difficulty for people who want to be committed to Christ alone, I'm suggesting... It might actually come from those who want Jesus plus something else. Jesus plus my politics or my traditions that will ultimately turn into, well, if you don't have this version of Christianity, then that means that you don't love our country. And it might even mean that you don't love Jesus and so I think our biggest challenge and the, and, and the biggest adversity that those of us who want to stay committed to the gospel and to Jesus alone might come from there more than it does from the outside of those who would just outright reject Christianity. Just a suggestion. But here's what we know. Jesus is absolutely committed to his people. He is absolutely committed to 
growing us in grace. He's absolutely committed to working into us to grow through adversity, to grow through difficult conversations, to grow through the willingness to speak truth in the midst of falsehood, to grow in being able to hear from others things that we might not want to hear, but to grow through adversity. Well, how? That's where we get to the crown. Smyrna, a very affluent city. Lots of money rolling through Smyrna. As a matter of fact, Smyrna had so much money that they could afford to build buildings and have architecture like no other city in the Roman Empire. And so their buildings, actually, they had the money to build them symmetrically. I know that sounds, yeah, that sounds weird now, but um, to build them symmetrically, and so much so that the city of Smyrna within the Roman Empire was known as the crown city because of its symmetrical buildings. Do we see what Jesus is doing in verse 10? Jesus is saying, my people, my children, poor persecuted, slandered, being crushed, tempted to operate in comfort, afraid in the crown city. My people, you need to know that in my kingdom, the crown city means nothing. Means nothing. And life with me means that you receive the crown of life. Do we see like how much Jesus is subverting what is going on here? He is saying to the people who live in the crown city, who are going through incredible persecution and difficulty, that that means nothing because you have the crown of life in me. And in me, you are a conqueror. Why? Because I am the first and the last. I'm the one who died and rose again from the dead. And that means everlasting life with me. So come what may. Whatever it may be, even death itself, being slandered, going through adversity, know this, everything is moving toward me, and life with me is glorious, beloved. 